On today's episode, we're going to talk with Chris Wink about setting the proper expectations with your internal team, not forgetting your why, and beats. Let's go! This is the Blind Entrepreneur Podcast where we help entrepreneurs and business professionals execute their vision by guiding them to profitability. Today we have Chris Wink. He is the publisher and CEO of Technically Media, a local news and events publishing company. They convene the smartest people and organizations and industries that matter for local communities to thrive in the future. To do that, they make connections with journalism, events, and services. Presently, they publish Technically and Generosity.org. Chris, how is your day going, my friend? Hey, I'm I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? My bicycle commute was was solid, so yeah, nice. I'm feeling pretty. I'm feeling limber. What is that? What is that? Uh, that commute like? Is it several miles? One mile? Up, up? Uh, it's a, approximately three point two seven three miles. Nice. Um, I I live in Philadelphia. I, I commute between Fishtown, the Fishtown neighborhood, and our office in Old City. And I get uh, a good amount of yelling at car drivers in the morning to get me feeling good. So it's a great way to start the day. So I'm off, ready. There's no better city than to disrespect the uh, the, the bike riders than in Philadelphia. Right. I, I've had several stories myself of riding a bike, and uh, they ended up uh, almost in a hospital. So I can uh, yeah. I can I can relate to you right there. For the car driver, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so without further ado, we're gonna begin the podcast. But before we get into the the big stuff. We have to start off with an icebreaker. Uh, so, Chris, are you ready for uh, to begin? Yes, I love talking about ice. I'm All ready. Right. So, imagine you just had the absolute best day of your life. Where are you going to eat, and what are you going to order in order to make your day complete? Okay. So, uh, this may not be unusual enough a question because actually, I I do love me cheap street food so that could do me really well but i'm going to give a far more refined answer because ultimately i want to project myself as a genteel individual and that's what i'll i'll do right now um so i am a a, a i am on the fan boat of the celebrated israeli fusion restaurant zahav um in philadelphia that's um uh, my wife and i have gone there for years i we went there the night that i proposed to her we've gone there for ensuing anniversaries and birthdays so I am over the moon for Zahav, so surely I'd be there. I would have uh, extra helpings of their beets, and I would have um, – they often have a, a kind of old-fashioned-esque whiskey drink, I, I, if I remember correctly. Um, so I would probably have overspent for some kind of cocktail, um, and uh, yeah, I would be there, and I would have a lot of beets. Um, and fun fact, don't actually like beets, just like Zahav's beets, so – that's that's the highest compliment I can pay. Very very good. The hummus, amazing. But how, the real question is, how yeah, long are you waiting for a reservation, or do you got the inside scoop? Because I'm here in three months or so. Right. No, I just go in and, and I just say I'm here for the reservation for John, and just yeah. see if I can fake my way in. That's that's <laughs> what call. I go with. Always a good yeah. go to. John's yeah, always a no, good I'm, one. <laughs> yes. So without further ado, Chris, tell us a little bit more about you. Tell us about your business. Who are you, and what is your story? Yeah. So I'm I'm. I self-identify and first came to the professional world through journalism. Uh, so I was reporting in the State House in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, right after undergraduate in a fellowship program that was normally supposed to put me on the pathway of becoming a Metro Daily newspaper. That's very much where I thought I was going to be. 
like a lot of people in this era, I have my my recession story, um, my industry, uh, which was essentially at that point newspapers, um, was already in a generation's long disruption, and that got hastened rapidly by that recession. I was very clear that the pathways that I had been setting myself up for were, were those doors were closing. I feel very much like the scene in Indiana Jones where I'm running and the the door is closing and I just grab my hat just before I escape out of the room um, for that reference from 1989. I, um, I, uh, a couple of friends and I were in very similar situations. We thought we were great. We were um, all part of the same college newspaper. We went to Temple University in Philadelphia for undergrad. We met each other, worked hard together um, and loved our college newspaper and, and um, we loved working together. So when we all found ourselves very nervous about what our industry was going to offer, um, we said we should start our own thing. Um, and this is 2009 when we finally um, launched actually a couple different experiments, um, but one of which was, hey, there is this new group of people who are building software in places that are not known for doing it, and and they're looking for peers, and they seem to be pretty smart, but they almost are perceived as a fringe member of local economies. We were in Philadelphia. We eventually would expand to other markets, but um, that was the origin. Hey, let's just start covering them. So it was a, a you know a fifty dollars WordPress template, a ten dollars domain, twelve dollars a month hosting, and um, me with a steno pad out at events, awkwardly cornering people at cocktail happy hours and asking if they would tell me about their company. That that was that's that's where it all begins. Very cool. Yeah. So you you started in the the world of journalism. You you're continuing that path. Like, where do you see? the current state of journalism being? Yeah, so I have a a, a perhaps complicated relationship even with, the, I, I, I'm confused by the word industry, and I think that's actually the biggest challenge that people who produce journalism are confronted by. So I was relatively careful that when I mentioned earlier what, where I started, um, the newspaper industry, uh, for me, that's like complicated, probably more precisely, that's like a newspaper sector or whatever. But, I, you know, in entrepreneurship circles, what do we talk about? What, what industry are you? Uh, there, there's a few different ways that we probably splice that. The, the peer group of customers, clients, um, you know, the trade publication you might read. But we also talk about how you make money and business models, another way to splice that. I, I fumble and probably badly misuse the language because – I came into an industry that was in complete disruption. And I think a lot of um, industries, you have a business model that fits with client base, which which fits through, uh, you know, there's a package of goods. And it's clear, like, this is the business I'm going to be. I'm going to SaaS model because I'm going to try to service, um, you know, customers. And it's all together. Where in, if you want to produce news, it, there is not a consistent way you make money. Um, and that's what's absolutely in disruption. It has been. So are you an advertising model? Are you a subscription model? Are you an event sponsorship model? Are you a membership model? Are you um, a data selling model? Are you in you know something else? So that was a, a bit of a tangent to say um, what I think when I think about anyone who wants to produce journalism, which for me is a commitment to saying things even if someone doesn't want you to say them um 
including people who pay you, uh, which we have experiences there. Um, if that's what you want to do, journalism is a strategy, not an industry. And by that, I mean it's it's a it's a type of organization. It's an approach. It's a it's like saying you are an open source you know dev company. That it's like how you approach software building. So for me, we are in. Um, we've been in the events business. We are increasingly, as we can get into, in in even a talent sourcing business. Um, but journalism is how we build trust with people. It's how we build an audience that we care about. It's how we defend and protect a community. So all that to say is I think that's the state of, of news in journalism. It's how are you leveraging one of the most important ways to build trust to build a company or an organization? There are There's so much content in this world. Every yeah. single second of the day, there's pieces of content being flooded with social media and um, they're trying to sell a product. And you mentioned the word trust, which I find incredibly interesting is what is technically media doing in order to, number one, create really kick-ass content and building that trust? I'm trying to find takeaways that we can learn today that we can apply to the businesses that we are all in and the people that are listening are in. Yeah, and I think there are lessons that extend. Don't, you know, if you're listening, don't fall asleep when I say the word journalism. Because I think there are a lot of lessons that carry over to anyone who who is trying to have a, a relationship to a community, an audience. That, that Journalism, it's, again, it, it, is a, it is a strategy. It is an approach for building that trust. But, but that extends beyond. Because what does it mean? It, it means you'll often take long-term relationship with audience over short-term relationship with an individual client source or, um, you know, partner. So uh, we've had some really painful experiences of um, of reporting something challenging about someone who was a paying sponsor or client of ours. And sensibly, that is really strange for a a a client of ours to say you want to take our money and then you want to publish something that we don't want you to publish. That doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, but journalism. Um, and uh, in truth, my, they're hard because they, they are challenging and they have short term immediate concern implications, but it's always relatively easy. I know that the long term, uh, the moment I make, the wrong mistake and 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 say I'm going to take a short term uh, relationship over a long term community. Um, my business is over, and so the the extension of that for anyone in any kind of business that has to market or build trust with with customers is it is always you want that right in front of you that loudest screaming client partner. Um, it's so understandable for you to say I got to solve this problem right now. Um, but choosing whatever the trust you have or the commitment you've made to others, that's the lesson that I think I've learned. And, and we have lost revenue. Um, but I think on the whole, we've certainly gained it. And I think that's one of the big outcomes that you can certainly take from. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's, that's a great, uh, great story. There's always a journey. There's always a, a path that, uh, that leads to success. When you first started your the, the business, I'm sure there it wasn't all rainbows and unicorns. And to what it is today, a massive conglomerate of just media, in my opinion, of course. Yeah, massive is very kind, but I'll, I'll, I'll take it for my own uh, self-congratulations. Yeah, sure, sure. Please do. Um, what was the growing, the growth strategy that you used to to get yourself out there, to grow the event space? And now it sounds as if that you may even be 
moving into other markets as well to grow the brand. Yeah. Yeah. And the first thing that I also share with anyone I ever talk to in, in the founding space is feel comforted in knowing that I've never met a founder that has reached a level and said, yep, we're the big guy. We win. I've never met that person. So, um, you know, the, the, the federal small business administration puts 500 employees at the marker from when you go from small business to, to medium sized business. So in startup communities, we forget that scale that we are all, you know, we're 25, we're a team of 25. So I am very aware of how incredibly minuscule and tiny, and I can still be destroyed in a single day by a big enough player that wanted to, to copy what we did. Um, we have to have enough trust in our readers and community members that they would still want to stay with us through something like that. But that's something that any founder always, you have to remember, there's not the like, I'm three people. If only I was 10, I'd be feeling good. If only I was at 20, I'd be feeling good. If only I was at 35, if only I was at 50, if only I was at 75, if I was at 100, if I was at 200, if I was 300, if I was four, that ladder is so long. And I've interviewed, you know, the founder with 400 employees that's trying to get gobble up big contracts and saying, gosh, if only I was a couple thousand and could compete with, you know, that next stage. It's just, it doesn't end. And I think that's, that for me is comforting because it's, it's all a spectrum. Everyone is growing. Um, and trying their best. So know that there is not any threshold. I have a, a, a vivid story that stays with me forever of um, right before I did an onstage Q&A with a founder in um, in another community we report on who had, he had just done like like a, like a $250 million exit. So big, not the biggest, but like for that community we were in, a, a, a really meaningful one. It was a, it was a really big story. He, he, was, he was easily the king of that, um, of that community. And I was like, so what was the best, you know, what was the, just give me the fun thing. And we're in the behind the scenes before the event starts. What's the, um, what's the best feeling of that, of that acquisition? Like when the papers are signed and he said, um, I slept so well that night knowing I didn't have to worry about our pay cycle. Mm. And, you know, he, he was 300 employees. He was just a, exited for a quarter of a billion dollars and was like, I, I just don't have to worry about, you know, if our line of credit can support that, mm. um, that cycle of payroll. So that doesn't go away in any founder. You have to know that that is never going away. Do not trick yourself into thinking it does. Um, it's just the, the earlier stories are just funnier. Yeah. Um, like they're more fun because it's so everyone's just faking it and pulling strings together. Later on, you have the same stresses. They're just like sad and boring. Um, but to answer your question most directly, yeah, I got plenty of those um, early days. Um, you know, my, the one that maybe my my co-founder Brian is most amused by, and I still get teased about by by our team a bunch. Um, is I grew up very much like a, a thrift store uh, clothes buying kid. Um, that's how I lived my life, and was very. It was you know I I was not a punk rock kid, but it's as punk rock as I got. Of like I will not give a give a damn about what you think I should be wearing, and so I made a great I take great pride, and I would not I would walk into a thrift store, I would just pick a thing, it didn't matter if it fit me, measured nothing, I would just pick a thing, and that's what I would wear. And so we're starting and growing a, a, a company, and the photos are horrifying um, of of me just wearing clown like uh, clothes that do not fit me. And I have a very vivid memory of one of our first larger clients. You know, we're going to make it like an $8,000 deal. And that means the world. That's the biggest number I've ever heard of in my entire life at that point. And um, I'm sitting in with the CEO and I can, I can picture him over my right shoulder. He's closing his office door to start a meeting. And I go to 
I go to cross my legs and my freshly purchased pair of thrift store khakis had a baseball sized hole in the crotch um, uh, that I was meant to begin a serious conversation with. And that was an incredible turning point of um, that's not charming and punk rock. That is like uh, dirty and embarrassing. (laughs) And um, I changed my behaviors mightily and and you bought real pants. And I bought real pants. I still proudly often buy from thrift stores, but just I actually make sure the clothes fit me. Um, and that is super, obviously, silly and embarrassing. But the, the broader point, of course, is as you grow a company, we were probably four people there at that point. I really it, what ran through my head was I am not representing myself anymore. I am representing other people. And and so I may think it's funny that I literally just walk into a store and pick up whatever I can get for a dollar twenty five. Um, but that's, that's, I have other people's livelihoods now and I don't want someone deciding how they want to represent me with that kind of lack of, lack of concern. So that was a, that's the bigger point that I remember rocking me. Um, and like I had to be an adult and I was meaningfully not an adult at that point. Adulting is, is difficult one, but just fun yeah. question. Do you still have those pants? I don't, that uh, was, so my co-founder Brian was always a well-dressed guy and I, I went home and we are very honest as all good long-term founder relationships are and I told him this story and I don't think he was ever more horrified than that. So I think we probably burned them that that day. I like, it was of all the mistakes I've made, that was the one where I think he was closest to what are you doing to us? We're trying yeah. to grow a company. How did you not know you had a baseball sized hole? What is wrong with you? And that, so yeah, they got, they got rid of quickly. Well, let's, let's uh, expand on that, that uh, period of growth. You know, you're, you're growing, you're, you're doing some things that you may not be, uh, uh, familiar with getting in meetings with uh, baseball size holes. <laughs> what has that um, been like for you growing and how have you been able to maintain your own uh, mental capacity to, to grow alongside with your company? Is that something that's natural to you? Or are you finding it rather difficult to make that transition of growth? I, I mean, difficulty for sure. I, my relationship has always been to try to be as honest and transparent as I can, which sounds like such a cliche, but my approach to it's a, um, and probably us as an organization, perhaps is a little bit different. Uh, when we are not confident in ourselves, we put up walls. We, we know that the, 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 you know, the kid who was like the least athletic had the most stories of his athletic success. And that's what we do when we're at our worst, we overcompensate. So, I think early on, my co-founder and I, we we found what we were good at, and I am fiercely proud of what I think I am really great at. And there are things that I, yeah, I think I'm really exceptional at, and I'm, and I'm totally confident there. And that's where I get my source of confidence, because there's a whole other array of things that I constantly confront and can recognize that I, I really don't know what I'm doing. And I don't mean that in a self-deprecating way. Just I, I, as a first time founder, I have confronting things that I couldn't even, I didn't even know these were questions I was supposed to ask. It's a whole new category of, of thing as, as a young, um, coming from a journalism background, um, a lot of those early days, you know, things that a, a first year business student learns, you know, um, like here's how you make an equation in a spreadsheet for a budget or, you know, something that is just achingly simple for me in those early days were profound. Mm-hmm. 
So um, I, I think it was an honesty with our team, with myself of, um, hey, stay with me because I am really good at this stuff. I feel really confident at, at this these set of qualities. I am really good and I will serve you well here. I, I do deserve to be in a leadership role. And because I had that confidence, I felt okay saying, but these areas, I'm trying my absolute best. I really am. And, um, and that's, I mean, I fall asleep at night when I'm, you know, feeling stressed, knowing that I try so damn hard. Um, that is something that I have not, I have not called in a day in work in my life. And I think that's always been important for how I feel confident in what we are doing. What is the uh, founder relationship like between you and your co-founder? You mentioned that you have these particular set of, of strengths that you're just absolutely go all in for. Um, what are they? And what could be an area that you would like to grow further in? Yeah, no, I, those are great questions. My my um, my, my wife uh, teases me that I'm not allowed to compare a marriage with a co-founder relationship because it, it diminishes our profound and meaningful matrimonial relationship. So <laughs> that's probably very good advice and very fair. Um, but I am a, a man of limited vocabulary, so I end up making the comparison anyway. Uh, because, yeah, my relationship with Brian Kirk, who's my co-founder, is, I mean, it is it's so interestingly distinct. So I have, you know, best friend kind of relationships and I have long time girlfriend and wife relationships. And the co-founder relationship I have with Brian is so distinct. It is, I'm not allowed to say equally intimate, um, but it is, it is so similarly intimate in the category of founder where it is that, you know, he wants to strangle me sometimes. I'm incredibly badgering when I want something. And he, you know, I drive him insane. Um, and I'm very particular. And, and he is insane in his own way, which I can I get into in a moment. But to make the point that we will get in absolutely infuriating fights, text messages at 10 p.m. And it's like, just like, fuck you, you know. And in any other circumstance, if not for a best friend, a marriage, or a co-founder, you're like, this might be the end of the relationship. This might be it. But that's not ever what we end those fights with. It's like we got to walk away. We find it in a day. And like that's it. And that the number of times that's happened, that is such a strength that we just can't be – yeah, I don't – there is just literally no um, – you know, hesitance or, or concern about that. So that enormous trust, again, to use that word, is probably something that comes up a bunch. Um, and, and it helps that he and I are, for those who know us, we, we are, are very different people. I am, have always been um, much more keen on the metaphorical and literal stage um, that we set up, the, the more of the public facing role. And um, I, we both came from journalism backgrounds, but I have definitely, um, wanted and and adored that legacy even even more and deeply and have been our our chief holder of our editorial direction um and he's ended up driving both our business direction but interestingly both both he and i are sensitive about not being counted for the other i'm really proud of the business development work i do and i take sales really seriously because i don't think a founder who outsources raising money uh well selling i think that is a uh, you have to be salesperson first and foremost um so i'm sensitive if, when when i don't get the credit for business and he sens is sensitive about when he his credit in shaping what our editorial vision is doesn't get credit so i think that's probably something that's interesting we found our specialization and what we lead 
but we both have deeply influenced the other and are sensitive if we don't get that because we want to be these well-rounded um, people. We're younger-ish, right? We're still in our, 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 now we're in our early 30s and we want, we're still developing what we're great at. Um, and we want to be known for that too. So yeah, we're different, um, and and but we want to be developing what we can be in all those ways. Was there anything that you wanted to uh, that you wanted to uh, get better at within the mm. course? You said strengths and strengths and weaknesses. I'm curious to hear more about that. Yeah. So w- one thing for me that I talk a lot about that I'm not strong at is um, I think great organizational leaders know when consensus building is correct and when clear directives are best um, because organizations need both. Um, it sounds, it might sound nice to say we build everything by consensus, but that's just idiotic. No, sometimes it's just, uh, there'll be noisy data. There'll be noisy opinions for an internal team about what direction you should go. What business decision should we cancel this event? Should we um, launch a new product? You know, um, there are times when consensus building is helpful and you'll almost always need to build consensus over longer term strategies. Um, but because we started um, in a way where I did not have subject matter expertise in everything we were doing, um, very early on, a lot was built by consensus. It, the, the default was, hey, what do you think? Um, or this is what I think. What do you guys think about that? And I think starting from a consensus first mentality is a good place to start. But there are times, and I've gotten that feedback from our team, that they're like, Jesus, man, just make a decision. Just like, just, just say, this is where the flag is. This is where we're going. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And, um, but I've, I've, I've made those decisions and been told that was not the right time. That wasn't meant to be a consensus time. So I'm not, I don't have the natural instinct to know this is a consensus moment. This is a, um, my decision moment and it can be infuriating for a team. So I need to keep finding those moments. So this year, I've been working a lot at saying, I'm going to recuse myself from this. I'm not even involved in this decision. I want the team to build that consensus. I'm not even going to be there for it. And finding other times when we're going to build consensus, uh, one way as a specific piece of advice that I've liked that I've tried to really use, um, very direct language. This is an opinion I am offering, not a decision I am making. Mm. Um, or I am making this decision. This is the decision. And I am, you'll, my team probably would tease me that I, there are moments when you can see me processing my brain where I will say, no, I said, I think this, no, I have decided this and I will try to be more precise in my language. And I'm, I'm still clumsy with it and I'm not, it's not natural. and I'm not great at it, but messaging to a te- to the team, this is an opinion. This is a decision and saying it explicitly yeah. is really helpful that I'm not there yet. No, that's spoken for like a true veteran entrepreneur. I mean, those that that mm-hmm. advice alone it's uh, is valuable. Um, so I, I appreciate that. It's something that we can all take away with us. Um, and I, I personally resonate with that because, like you said, it's difficult to find that language, and yeah. it's important to use the proper language because at the end of the day, you're the one carrying the flag, and you got to put your mark down. So. Um, before we get into the more, uh, personal questions about yeah. habits and resources and things like that, I'm, I'm, I'm always curious to, to know, uh, uh, the answer to this question, but is there anyone that you would like to meet, uh, mm. in business and, and why would you like to meet them? Is this those questions of it? Um, uh, you know, living or dead or is it a more practical, like, yeah, someone I should meet? Uh, yeah. I mean, preferably living. Um, because yeah. the goal would be one day, you know, let's see if we can try and 
connect you to them. Got um, it. Yeah, but, it's always preferable to choose living. That's, but if it's, it's always good. Yeah, yeah. But if you want to go go way back and give a throwback, you know, that'd be. I I would like to go to a Michael Jackson concert, but I can't do right. it. So right there, wouldn't we all? Um, that's fair. Um, <clears throat> I like that. I mean. This might be a lazy answer, but just it is. It is. I, I haven't come prepared with a really profound one, but I think I can make it make sense. Um, I, I we've done some work, and I have friends who work at um, Vox, which is a, a you know a, a venture backed, well established um, brand that, that's moved very rapidly the last ten years. Um, their CEO is Jim Bankoff. I, I've um, I've seen him talk, and I've been nearish um, to him. But yeah, if, if this is like get an hour. Get, you know, get a chance to have lunch and have an hour conversation. I'm interested um, to to kind of talk to him more literally about his own thoughts on the business of doing journalism, but also doing it sustainably. And and he has an, a mandate. He's taken on a lot of venture money, so he's got, um, I'm sure, a considerable amount of pressure to make a really big business. Um, and I think I'm really impressed with that. A lot of it is still an advertising-based business, which is different than what we were doing, as I alluded to earlier. Um, but I, I still think I find their work in him inspirational. So that's probably one that I will, I will say it's attainable, but, um, I would find value in, awesome. we can make that happen. We totally will. It's going to happen. Mark my words, uh, habits, what type of habits from a business perspective and even a personal perspective have helped you become more efficient throughout your day? Yeah, I, I have a, a lot on this. My co-founder and I, so my co-founder and I were very, we are very different people, um, but one of the things that we really bonded on is as different as we are, we both love workplace workflow habits. We still will say, Oh, have you seen this? Or have you heard about this process? Or it is a thing I've been doing that, that, that saves me time. Um, so we are constantly trading those. And I think that's one of the many things that Brian and I um, have a really special bond on. And we drive the rest of our team nutty about because it's dangerous when both of your co-founders are um, in love with something that is quirky. So we're always spouting out, here's a way to save some time. Like, uh, um, so a few that for me stand out a lot. I, um, I, one way I drive Brian though crazy is, um, I am so literal with our task management tool. We, we use Asana, but obviously there's lots of them. Um, and what I know about myself is I am in that category of person, which I think is a very common personality trait of I am wonderfully optimistic about what I can accomplish in my time. And I really love what I do. And I really love talking to people. So I all the time make promises that um, I naturally want to make a promise I can't really keep. I want to say, yep, Jonathan, I love it. I'm going to write three stories about this podcast. I want to like, I want to support you in every way I can. I'm going to bring in two other people and make these four introductions. And I want to do that. Um, but I don't have as strong and as natural an instinct to say, I can't literally accomplish that. So I'm just lying to you if I, I say that. So the way I've over the last couple of years gotten better at that is I've outsourced um, my ability to make promises to my task management tool, Asana. So where a lot of people might say, you know, oh, finalize that report in a week, I have to do, um, you know, create the document for that. Um, first draft the language for that document, um, you know, do that. And so, of course, for someone who is not as insane as I am, that's annoying as hell because no, someone doesn't need every single step. So I'm sure my co-founder Brian has 
gotten me more than one time assigning assigning him a task that is so literally in the weeds. But that's how I, if I make a promise, if I'm if I'm doing it right, one of the first things I do is I will sit in front of my task management tool and say, what are the literal steps I need to take to get this done? And this sounds like what a 17-year-old might have to do, um, but it is how I'm training myself to be able to say, wow, when I really space it out and think, well, this is going to take two weeks to even do that single item. Um, and it's it's coaching me to get better at under, you know, doing the under promise over deliver. So the actual focused piece of advice there is if you overestimate what you can do, which I think a lot of founders are, um, being insanely deliberately literal with something like a task management tool, as annoying as it can be, I've probably put an extra three hours a week probably into collectively managing my task management tool. So you might say three hours gone, but I see that as both helping me today and also literally I'm investing in my ability to be more true to what I can accomplish. So that's a big one. And a far smaller one that I do a lot is as um, I do calendar out work, you know, like, you know, the get shit done time. So I start most Mondays um, with an hour where I clean up my my task management tool, but I focus that and I, I, I close out every Friday with a couple hours of like push final projects. And then usually in the middle of the week, I will get another two to three hour block. So I don't do, I don't, have meetings spread throughout a day. I try to isolate them to the morning or the afternoon so I can get work done. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means a, a, a lot to me. I also check email three times a day. This is a thing that my co-founder Brian and I are both obsessed with. Um, I do not, the, my email is not my workflow. So I check uh, right in the morning, uh, around lunch and the in the evening. And otherwise I'm, I'm working on my timeline, not my emails. Hmm. Is there, is that something that happened off the bat? Or do you think that was like a trained habit? It, it, it comes a little bit from from like the the ten year old um, inbox zero philosophy that my co-founder Brian and I both came across as undergrads. We were very nerdy workflow kind of people, and he and I both he and I are slightly different, but we've both adapted off that in our own ways. Um, so we are very we have very strong opinions about um, how many emails we manage with, which we horrify our teams. Teammates, whenever we want to talk about the best way to manage an email inbox, small thing. I, I think we trivialize email and say it's it's like it's um you know it's 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 how you staple a piece of paper and why would you ever spend time talking to someone about how you staple paper? But I'm of the mind that no, this is a major way we interact with the world, and so it's more akin to how you talk to another person. And so yes, we we talk a lot about about public speaking and interview styles and so I, I think it's much more in that category so um yeah it, it came from a philosophy of inbox zero i am um brian and i both always vibe for um you know if you're in my inbox that's because there still is a lingering action and so anything else gets archived or pushed out so um not wanting to be controlled by my email became this philosophy about only check email a couple times a day. So if you're getting, you know, people have probably gotten a flood of emails from me at like 6 PM. That's because I'm like cleaning out my email. Mm-hmm. Interesting. The last major question that I have for you is, uh, the blind entrepreneur, this podcast, uh, was created for individuals who may be temporarily blind in business and they cannot see the obvious, maybe in the early days of, of, of technical media. Um, to those individuals, what are three pieces of advice that you would give to a fellow entrepreneur who may be temporarily blind? 
Yeah, I, I like I love your concept. I think that's that definitely resonates with me. Um, so one is goes back to what I I kind of tripped over in the beginning of our interview, but tightly pulling apart and reassembling business model versus industry versus peer group. So, um, you know, for us that was, um, okay, we're, we want to use journalism as a strategy, um, but we're not in the journalism industry because journalism itself doesn't make money. It's not, it's not a business model. Um, and it's not truly an industry. It's a, it's a broader media industry perhaps, but you know, so we've, I felt really blinded and only in the last couple of years, we found that we're really good at helping people hire technical talent because we are a journalism organization. So we get trust with technical talent, um, technologists, project managers and the like, um, they read us, they, our survey data shows they trust us. And so we get really good at, um, at, um, introducing them to companies that we've vetted over time. So that was, we were totally blind to that for the, for our first several years recognizing that was really what we were. Um, we were helping people, uh, hire technical talent. So, um, that's one thing that I would push, pull out. What are we, what's our business model? What industry are in? And, and, and those can be separated. Um, I think, I mean, two is build in, self-built internal deadlines for checking your health. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, so we do a, every June we do a team retreat every December we do an all team day and they're real. I mean, they can just, we could just be getting together, but I put a lot of pressure on myself to deliver to our team, a true health of the organization, um, update on the direction. And it's, it is absolutely somewhat self-created. No one's really, you know, said that that had to be this great big internal deadline. But now since for over a few years, we've delivered this, you know, all right, six months we were talking about this, this is an update of where that is, or, or this is what we've learned. Um, that now the team does expect it. And I love that pressure because I find that is this deadline of, you know, pushing us forward. And I think when we've been blind um, or when we've been missing something, it, we've, you know, we have to do this major presentation to our shareholders and by shareholders, I mean our, our teammates. And so that pressure that I think I'm most anxious, the most anxious I ever am is, is presenting to the rest of our team of what we are. That's what I, that's the most important presentation for me that I give every year, twice a year talking to our team. And, um, and I want to deliver them. I feel like every, every time am I doing enough for you, for you to be excited by being here. So that's one that has pushed us forward a bunch, that internal deadline and using your teammate as that teammates is that springboard that I think is, um, is real. And, and, uh, three, it's just, for founders, it's it's easy to forget um, that it should be fun. I don't know if this is a controversial or a simple um, cliche thing to say, but um, it's easy to get pulled into deliveries and stresses and, and team. Um, and I think you have to remember that the rest of your team is looking to you to set mood. And so it's both good and rational for for culture but also for your own sanity it like god willing you started something you actually like and it's fun and you built an organization around your own styles and and i'm an insane person in all kinds of quirky ways right like I, we talked about that. i'm quirky i'm just weird i i 
wanted to have an office with a whole lot of light. That was the most important thing to me was just like natural light. It's a really random specific thing. We're in an office with great natural light. I love that. I love, I love coming into our office. I feel very happy every time I come in. I want a bicycle commute that's built into my life. So I want to, I want to challenge what journalism can be. That's what I do every single day. I want the opportunity to write still, even though I'm more of an executive role. Guess what? I can. Um, so I try to list all those things that I want to develop as a leader. I want to, um, you know, be growing an organization and challenging industry. I want to grow revenue. I want to be better. Everything that I want to get good at, I've essentially built into a role. This is, this is the single greatest role I could have in the world. Um, and that is so easy to forget it because you get caught up in everything. But that I think helps you get out of the blindness because, um, I'm trying to do something that, that I care about for this industry, but also I care about for me. And that stands out to me as special. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, great, great, uh, words of wisdom, great advice to the viewers. Chris, thank you so much for everything you've, you've given to us today. Um, the podcast is officially over and you successfully completed. So kudos (laughs) to you. Congratulations. Uh, Without further ado, the, the, the next 30 seconds is completely yours. Go right ahead. Look directly into the camera. Tell everybody, uh, what you have going on, uh, how they can follow your journey, how they can read some of your content and be a part of your mission. Yeah, I mean, we publish two brands technically in Generosity. Um, Generosity is only in Philly. Uh, yeah, technically publishes in five minute Atlantic markets and covers local tech communities and increasingly have a national voice. Um, if you're interested in what communities of uh, innovation look like and how they're growing in some of the most interesting grassroots efforts in, in a handful of our biggest markets, um, you should be reading us. We're really active on social is an easy way. We've really popular email newsletter. Um, but what I think might send out for founders anywhere in the mid-Atlantic um, or beyond is we are trying to totally rethink how sourcing technical talent can be without LinkedIn spamming people, but actually being a part of a community. Um, and so if you're at all interested in in supporting daily reporting on your community, but also finding a new way to um, be introduced to, to technical talent um, and uh, have it mean something, you should talk to us. I'm at Christopher Wink on Twitter or, or Chris at technicallymedia.com. Um, I will love to respond to you. Awesome. To those of you guys who are still watching and listening, thank you guys for always liking, commenting, and subscribing. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube and head over to theblindentrepreneur.com for more interviews. Being blind in business is temporary. I hope that you're listening to the wisdom of Chris today. You are now able to see more clearly. Go out there and execute your vision, everyone. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much for watching this video. Don't forget to follow me on any and all social media platforms using the long last name above, followed by the letter J. If you want to get lost into the dark abyss of YouTube, click either left or right for another video. And finally, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. No, seriously, don't forget.